Back in the 1990s, the late comedian Chris Farley had a recurring bit on, uh, a recurring sketch on Saturday Night Live where he played motivational speaker Matt Foley. And uh, so the parents are, he would speak to troubled youth and uh, seek to motivate them. And his tagline, of course, was that he lived in a van down by the river. Now, you've got to picture teenage JP just absolutely loving this kind of comedy uh, back then. And then, of course, this week, um, by the, the grace of uh, YouTube, to rewatch these things. I still laugh at it. I, th- I think, still think it's funny somehow. Um, but, of course, you know, who's going to listen to a motivational speaker who, uh, by nature of his living situation in a van down by the river, uh, would listen to someone like that? Um, so today we're learning about God's dwelling place. And the question is, what do we learn about God from this dwelling place that he commands his people to build for him? You know, is he just a God who lives in a tent out in the desert? Um, but here we have God just giving very detailed and specific instructions about this, uh, this dwelling place, which essentially is just a very fancy tent uh, that looked a lot like a big version of kind of the tents that they would have lived in and uh, sort of the, the setting in, in which they were living. And the instructions are given in great detail. And here we come to one of the first places where people who are striving to read through the whole Bible quit. This is kind of stop number one. You get through, everybody gets through Genesis with the flood and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the story of Joseph. It's just, it's really good stuff. And then Exodus is fantastic with the, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and the plagues and all that stuff. And then you get to the details for the temple. 13 out of the next 16 chapters, measurements, details, specifics. And it can, to us, it can seem kind of dull and people drop out. If you make it through, you'll drop out in numbers when you get to the list of all the people and stuff. That's more common, but this is kind of the first speed bump in your journey through the Bible. But it can seem dull to to us, but it's leading to the climax of the story. The story of Exodus, the climax is not when Moses parts the Red Sea and then, you know, Pharaoh's army is, you know, engulfed in the waters. It's not even in the giving of the Ten Commandments, giving of the law. The the climax of the story of Exodus is when God's glory fills uh, his his dwelling place. And we're going to really kind of focus on that next week. But I want to take a look at this dwelling place because this really is bringing us to the climax of the story. Exodus is a story about a God who desires to dwell with his people. He freed them from slavery so that he could properly dwell with them. And that same God has the same heart for his people today, for us. God is a God who desires to dwell with us through our joys, through tragedies, through every step of life. Our God is a God who dwells with us, his people. So I want to look at that today. Um, Three things as we consider God, you know, building God's house, his dwelling. The purpose, the payment, and the people. So the purpose, what is it for? The payment, who pays God's mortgage, and Uh, who builds it? Who are the people who actually build this building? So let us pray as we begin. So Father, uh, on this day we uh, turn to you and we pray that you would teach us. Lord, we we thank you that you've given us your word and even the parts of it that might seem dull to us, Lord, you you have specifically given us this text that we might know your heart, that we might know your will in your way. So I pray that in in the next moments as we reflect on it, that we would know it more that we would know your heart, and that we would respond in faith to whatever you show us. May it be, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, the purpose of God's, uh, of this tabernacle, this tent, this dwelling for God. God doesn't need a house. Okay, that's very clear. Acts 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God can do anything. He has made all things. He doesn't need anything for humans to build him. And yet, God commands very specifically that he would have a special dwelling place. Why? What is the purpose? It's showing himself to his people. If I were to go through your house, even if I didn't know it was your house, I would learn something about you. I'd look at your stuff and your pictures and kind of how you have things and how you live. And I, I mean, I won't go through your house like that, but if I were to, I could, I could see, I could learn things about your life. And the same thing we see with God's house. Uh, again, so it's um, the way that they camped is they are, because they are kind of a, a semi-nomadic kind of a people at this point. And when they camp, you have kind of your, your area, and so God's house has a kind of a fenced-in courtyard, and then there's a, a house. There's, a, there's the tent part, and then inside the tent, there's a smaller room, kind of a special place. So think about it's like the front yard of God's house, and then the living room, and then sort of the bedroom, the most intimate place in the house. And as you, as you were to, if you were to look at this thing as it was set up, the first thing you'd notice is a big bronze altar. It's like a huge grill, essentially. And again, in the ancient world, a lot of the cooking was done over fire. It was outdoor cooking. So this, that God's house has a big grill is, no, um, is not different from that. But it's a place where sacrifices were made. And what you learn right away when you see that is that God provides uh, a way for his people to be forgiven. God is committed to his relationship with his people that he's making a way for a right relationship, that all people have sinned and strayed from God. God is holy and perfect, and we are not. But God has made provision for his people through the sacrificial system to be made right, to be forgiven. And of course, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus, uh, he was the final sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice. What he did on that cross is a provision for our sin. He takes our sin on that cross, and he gives us his righteousness, and we new life in him. And so right away, when we look at God's house, we see God is a God who makes a provision for our sin. And then right behind that, uh, the altar is a, a basin full of water for cleansing. Now, that had a very practical purpose in their day for those who were making the sacrifices. It was a messy work, and they would need to clean. But it's also symbolic that God uh, provides cleansing and hospitality. You know, in any ancient home, there would often be water outside the door because you'd be dusty and dirty and you would wash before you enter a house. And the same was true with God's house, that there was cleansing. So you see, here's the cost of sin and here's the cleansing that God brings. It's all right there as you enter God's house. So if, if you were to enter then into this fancy tent, you would notice some things right away. First of all, that the lights are on. There's a lampstand and night and day it was kept burning. The lights are always on in God's house. Tuesday was a, was a, a terrible day. Um, it was a long day for me. I got home very late. It was by the time I got home from things, it was uh, well after 11 o'clock. And I noticed the lights were on in my house. And I went in and 
Clancy had stayed up and she said, hey, I just wanted to, you know, just make sure you got home okay and make sure that you're good. And that meant so much to me that after a, a, after a terrible day that the lights were on and someone was waiting. That's God's heart for his people. His lights are always on. He's always waiting. He always cares to welcome us into his presence. So you would see this lampstand burning. You would also smell fresh bread. God commanded his people that there would always be fresh bread in his house. And that, imagine the aroma of fresh baked bread all the time. So I can, I can imagine this because I live uh, where I live on High Street. Uh, Perfectos is essentially in my backyard. And because we're up high, the, the, uh, the vent, their uh, roof vent, is lower than my house. So pretty much every day, the smell of cinnamon buns, <laughs> muffins, bagels, wafting through my yard which is a tempting smell, but also a very welcoming, it's, it's a very uh, home kind of a smell. and it, Those things represent fellowship and meals and, and breaking bread together. And that's God's, that's God's heart for his people, that he's in such close fellowship, intimate fellowship with his people. And you can even smell it in God's house. And then, of course, you, as you go through, there was some other things there, as you go through, there'd be uh, the inner chamber, essentially the bedroom of God's house, the most sacred place. And really only one person was to go in there and only once a year. And it was, this is where God's presence was most powerfully experienced and known. And in it um, was a, a, a box, a very fancy box that was covered, it's called the Ark of the Covenant, covered in, in pure gold representing the purity and the holiness of God. And on top of it were carved angels bowing down, that even the, the greatest spiritual beings in the world bow down to a holy God. And that's where God, in, in the presence of God, uh, all bow down. Um, and, and it's just a, a beautiful symbol. And inside the box are, are tokens of God's faithfulness, how God is providing for his people, how God is leading his people. We see all these things uh, just in this... Um, this one symbol and this one place. and So when we ask ourselves, what is the purpose of this house? It's everything about this dwelling that God commanded shows us that he is a God who, who wants to be with his people, a holy God providing for, to forgive us of our sins, welcoming us into his, his light and his presence and fellowship with him. Verse 8, 25 verse 8, says, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. That's the, the whole point, is God says, I want to dwell with my people. God does not need a home, but this is what he wants us to see. That's the whole purpose of this. The second thing is the payment. Uh, who pays for all this stuff? Because this is made of bronze and gold and silver and fancy yarn and oil and linen and all this stuff. And we think, wait a minute, where did they... How do they even have this? This is, a, this is a group of slaves who were miraculously freed from Egypt and they escaped at nighttime. How do they have all this fancy stuff? Well, if you've been reading along, you know that when the, the judgment of God against Egypt for enslaving these people and for how they were treated uh, was severe. And it was all the plagues. And it was so bad that when the Israelites were getting ready to go, the Egyptians just get, take my stuff. Take my gold, take the silver, get out of our country, leave this place. It was so, uh, the, the plagues were so devastating and the losses that they experienced, they just 
gave this stuff so these people would just get out of town. So now these slaves have wealth that, they, that was given to them freely. So they now have this. And, and then God says, hey, anybody who wants to freely give of your newfound wealth, it's yours. It's your possession. You can give it and contribute. And this is what happened. People started to give. It's described in Exodus chapter 35. And people who were willing, they, they started to give earrings and brooches and whatever pieces of gold and silver and all the stuff. And, and it wasn't just their stuff. It was their skills. The, the women were spinning uh, yarns and they were spinning the goat hairs and all these uh, fancy materials that they were fashioning into this, this dwelling place for God. And it was, and specifically the text said it was the men and the women and everybody was contributing to this. It was the, the whole community together. And then in Exodus 36, they had to say to Moses, they said, uh, this is Exodus 36.5. says, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they, had already, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Pastors love this verse. <laughs> they had to restrain the people from giving more gifts. You picture me with the offering box out there, you know, holding it back. No more gifts. We've got plenty. I duct tape over the little slot. You can't even put your check in there. It's, we're good. We've got more than enough. And uh, just, but here we have people who have experienced the power of God, the generosity of God, and now they have what is their possessions giving freely. More than enough. We see this all the time. You know, we especially around Christmas, and we, we always do a special Christmas offering, and we talk to our partners, say, hey, we're, we're going to have a special offering for you, a gift for you. And, they, and our partners say, oh, what, you know, how much? We say, I don't know. And we, we, but they need to know and plan, and so we kind of throw a number. We kind of make up a number, because we don't know what people are going to give. And, and year after year, that number just gets shattered. Just radical generosity, more than enough, just abundant giving. And, and again, it's not just finances. You know, here the people are, they're serving and they're um, spinning and they're, they're pulling this all together as a community. Um, but especially for building projects. So we, you know, as God provided us with new land and a new building, and we're so excited about that. We're going to start work soon on the, um, on our parking lot and fixing some of our uh, issues out here and some of the drainage and just really going to be able to use that land as a blessing to uh, for us and our community. But then we've got the building we've got to renovate, and we're going to need resources. And, we're, but, and I can look at this with a, from kind of a scarcity mindset to say, I'm not sure if we have enough. But we see this, that God just, whatever God is calling his people to accomplish and to build, that the resources are, so, are freely given. And, um, you know, really, chapter 25, verse 2 is the key here. It says, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering, you are to receive the offering from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. It's not a tax. It's not a command to give. It's a command to encourage them to give if their heart says, yes, I want to give. It's always a matter of the heart, never under compulsion. And, the, and we, we just see here, we know that God is a generous God. How do we know? Because 
because of Jesus, that Jesus gave everything. He gave his very life for us. God in his very nature is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. It's because God gave that we receive, and then we can become a generous people. So that's how it all got paid for. So you can thank the Egyptians, but it was the heart of the people to give of their wealth. Lastly, the people. Who's the, who built this? Who actually built this? But, um, let me read this again. This is chapter 35, verse 2. And it says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the Spirit of God, uh, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge, all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kind of crafts. God says, I filled him with the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit has filled this person in, in such a way. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit giving people skills and gifts, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, we think of things like somebody with the spiritual gift of prophecy or a spiritual gift of healing, you know, where they pray and people are healed. The spiritual gift of evangelism, where people just have a gift to share the good news of Jesus. and we, All these spiritual gifts. But do we ever talk about the spiritual gift of woodwork? That's what this says here. I've filled this man with the Spirit of God to do woodwork. To cut stones. To do the spiritual gift of art. How does that make you feel? I know for me that's exciting. The Spirit of God is empowering his people in all different types of skills. Not just stuff that we would think is spiritual, but God's Spirit allows us to do craft and to accomplish things. This is a priority for us as a church to understand this. To Our purpose statement, part of our purpose statement as a church is to mobilize people to serve. That people are going to use their spiritual gifts. That's a commitment of membership of Free Christian Church. If Members of our church say, I believe, you know, I agree with our statement of faith. I am going to support this church. I'm going to attend this church. And I'm going to use my spiritual gifts to build God's kingdom. And these are spiritual gifts. Um, For daily tasks. So can God give the spiritual gift of accounting? Or the spiritual gift of engineering? Spiritual gift of nursing? Or hobbies. Could you have the spiritual gift of fly tying? I want to know that. (laughs) Or if you have that gift, I'd like to talk to you. Could you have the spiritual gift of baking? The spiritual gift of pickleball? I mean, what what is the limit here? If you are going to use the things you do, whether it's your work or your play, for the glory of God, that the Spirit of God can empower you to accomplish the task that he wants you to accomplish. Life is not about just trying harder to do right. It's, it's about receiving power from God's Spirit to live in the ways that he's, in the places he's called you to live so that truly you can do everything for God's glory. Everything that you touch, everything that you work towards, you do it, as, as God says, we do it as if we're working for God, not for people. And his spirit allows us to do that. So what do we see here in God's dwelling? What do we learn about God? One, he's a God who wants to be with his people. Secondly, that he is a generous God whose people then become generous. And lastly, that God is a God who, by his spirit, empowers us to 
to use skills and to use our lives to accomplish his purposes. That's what we see in God's dwelling place. The question, though, is where's God's dwelling place today? Because we, we, we no longer need this fancy tent. And they built it into a, a real building, a real kind of a, a temple building at one point, but that's no longer around. This is what the New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. We are God's temple. Our bodies are God's temple. So what does that tell us about the, the front lines of our lives, the, the places where we are? You know, your body is God's home. God is with me. We become the visual reminder of who God is and his presence in our world. That it's... That, you are being made into a holy and a special place for God. Let us pray. And as we bow our heads to pray, I just invite you to look at your hands. Just look at your hands as we're praying. Because your body is God's home. So look at your hands and, and think through kind of an ordinary day. Think of all the things you do with your hands. Turning off the alarm clock in the morning. Typing an email driving your car, cooking a meal, whatever you do with your hands, just picture those things for a moment. What kind of talents has God given you that you do with your hands? So we pray, God, what do you want me to build for you? God, how do you want me to how do you want my hands to be generous for you? God, how have you gifted me? God, how could my hands represent Jesus in my world? So, Father God, as you dwell in us, as you dwell in our bodies, help us to be so aware of your presence. As you dwell in us, I pray that you would transform us more and more into your likeness. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.